0: welcome back to the master of none podcast where we go 365 days bringing you a podcast every single day nothing is off the table the intention of this podcast is to master the short form podcast as well as informing as well as entertaining so sit back relax and listen and enjoy the show all right y'all this is back on part two on understanding the killing of eric Richardson from Corey Richardson. I wanted to go ahead and do a part two because part one was great. However, half of it was in a bathroom and the other half I was doing it with my wife. I mean the podcast, not it. I was doing the podcast with my wife. So today I'm going to go ahead and get into a little bit more of the details about it. I got some audio clips. I got some new information about this case that is truly mind-blowing So let's get into it. Okay, once again, I think this case is one that is, it seems like it's always broken down into a certain amount of aspects, whether it be greed. I think yesterday when I went through this case, I was really trying to understand potentially what the motivation is. And after doing a little bit of a deep dive on it, I was able to get a little bit more information. Okay, Now, mind you, the location of this takes place in Kamas, Utah. And the story kind of goes that during 2022, essentially there was having some issues in the marriage between Eric and Corey. And it kind of all culminated around a house they were trying to flip. This house was roughly, you know, it was a very large house with a value around about $2 million. And the intention of it was to potentially buy it, flip it, and make more money. However, Eric was not on board with this. And he was really having some issues with it. And this kind of goes into the part of potentially what is the motive. And I'll get into a little bit more of that. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and play this clip for you so you guys can kind of have a good understanding of the house and the potential details.
1: It's the house Camus realtor, Corey Richens, wanted to flip, but her late husband, Eric Richens, thought was too expensive. The 20000 000- foot mansion sits on 8 and three quarters acres north of State Route 113 in East Midway. It's got a 3,000-square-foot guesthouse too, but both structures are just plywood shells. The property was a source of disagreement in Eric and Corey's marriage. The couple was under contract at the time of Eric's death in March of 2022, and according to court documents, he thought its then $2 million price tag was too much. On Monday, Summit County Sheriff's deputies arrested Corey, who is charged with murdering Eric with five times the lethal dose of fentanyl while celebrating purchasing the house. She went on to write a children's book about grieving his death after that. Search warrants say Eric's family members thought he planned to tell Corey they weren't buying the Midway Mansion. The day after her husband died on March 5th, Corey closed the deal. She held a gathering at the family home that day, too, and according to search warrants, it was then that Corey learned she'd been cut out of Eric's will, quote, making her financially stable. Exactly two weeks after Eric died, Corey put the home back on the market for nearly $5 million. Corey Richens is charged with aggravated murder and three counts of possession with intent to distribute a controlled substance. She has not been found guilty, nor has the trial begun. She is currently held without bond at the Summit County Jail, and a detention hearing is scheduled for May 19th. 3rd District Court Judge Richard Mrazik will consider whether she is a flight risk or an ongoing threat to the community to decide whether she will be held in jail while the criminal case against her is pending.
0: After listening to that clip, a lot of details kind of came through. So the first was potentially the motive. So if we focus on this house, we can determine that it was probably more than likely the cause of the catalyst of death. But what's really interesting about it, and probably one of the, the little details that I'm always like, why? Um, is Eric was actually aware that Corey was potentially trying to kill him. Okay. Okay. And it kind of goes back to a whole situation because Eric was really close to his sister and he's really close to his family. They, from the get-go, believed that she had always had something to do with it. And we know he was poisoned with fentanyl. But if we go back further, there was actually a vacation that took place between Eric and Corey. They went on a lovely trip to Greece. And Eric started to get a little bit more concerned. That potentially she had been poisoning him because he actually drank a drink, drink a drank a drink, good lord, that Corey had provided him, and as a result of drinking it, he felt violently sick. So we can start to determine that there was a pattern there where she probably had poisoned him before in order to determine it. But what kind of what kind of vile wife would poison her husband on vacation? I mean, that is probably the worst thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, you... Like, I get the point that she unfortunately killed him using five times the illegal amount of fentanyl. And then she went on to even write a book about it where she tried to captivate off the death once again. And then she even tried to sell a house as a result of it. But this woman would go so far to poison her husband on vacation. I mean, if that happened to me... I literally think it would probably be the... I can't even understand it. I can't even understand it. So long story short, as a result of this, the husband started to really become very suspicious of the wife and really thinking potentially that there could be other motives going on. Now listen to this. Two weeks before the murder happened, Eric actually switched the beneficiary of the will, to his sister, okay? And as you saw heard in that clip, she heard it in the house. So Eric was so concerned that he had actually told his family, I think she's trying to kill me, and if anything happens, it's probably because of her. Now, what's really interesting about it is is here's where the story kind of gets interesting to me. So Eric seems like a smart guy, you know, he was, he, if you describe him, I listened to one of his friends describe him, he was an outdoorsman, he worked really hard, you know, and his kids absolutely loved him, he was a father of three kids. They're saying that as a result of purchasing this house he did not want to buy, okay, he thought it was too risky, they celebrated in bed by drinking a Moscow mule that potentially she poisoned. Okay, and how the story goes is she woke up to having a situation where her son was crying, and then her husband was cold to the touch. I really wonder if Eric drank that Moscow Mule or if it was something else, because I have a hard time believing if a guy thinks his wife is trying to kill him, he's he's he changes her out of the will. He does not want to go forth with this purchase or this deal. Well, and then why would he continuously do it? I think that's probably something that might not be the case. Like, there might be something else there. But it goes far to say that she said she didn't text anyone or call anyone but 911. But there's actually a lot of texting going on with her phone with her, an individual by the name of CL. She, the nine, the, they determined that her phone had been locked and unlocked several times. CL between and she texted him between the 21st and the 22nd asking for pain pills now as we look at kind of the the conversation she had with the dealer originally she asked for some pain pills and then on her second occasion interacting with the dealer that potentially gave her fentanyl he asked that she quote-unquote wanted the Michael Jackson stuff end quote which is believed to have been fentanyl but actually he was killed by a prescription the doctor gave him and um prince was actually killed from a fentanyl overdose and so was tom petty so that's just a sidebar so this all take place during and this kind of happened on valentine's day you know and we had a situation again where eric had allergic reaction at a dinner that his wife made and led to breaking out in highs and having difficulty breathing he took his son's EpiPen and some Benadryl before passing out. When he woke up, he called his business partner and told him about the incident. And she, okay, if you can think about it. He, so he, he literally ate a dinner from her. And then he woke up and told his business partner about it. And he said some reports say that Erics believes his wife attempted to kill him again. Two weeks after that, Corey contacted CLS asking for something stronger. And that's kind of where you get the timeline between going through the Michael Jackson stuff and that would have happened. And she was so, she, she, she bought so much. She bought $90 and Eric would be dead by March 3rd. I'm sorry, March 4th. Okay. So if you look at the combination of the story is this man knew this wife was trying to kill him. He told his business partners, he changed the will and it really makes you wonder why he stuck around. But it was, but, but, It was brought to the police's attention, Corey had argued with Eric over this $2 million house that they were celebrating, wanting to purchase it and flip it. So after it was purchased, he then tried to flip it for $5 million, and nobody would buy it. This was the same house that Corey claimed her and Eric were celebrating before his death, which is really freaky. Okay, It actually, Eric was going to tell Corey that they need not to purchase the home the day after Eric's murder. And that's kind of what's contributing probably to the motive is Corey wanted this house. Obviously, she felt the need that she um, wanted it. And as a result of it, she tried to find fentanyl in order to kill him. You know, and Eric was found dead. So it kind of leads into a lot of stories about the police starting to determine their motive based on this $2 million. Now, that's just the front end of the story. And yesterday I talked a little bit more about the book, but kind of getting into it. So then it goes, Corey, asked, Corey was accused and insulting his sister, finding out she was charged with the whole real estate. So Corey is being actually charged with the first degree felon for aggregated murder and the secondary felon for the possession of it. So that's kind of what we get whenever we look really at the breakdown of this case. It's one that takes a lot of different turns but what's really insane about it is the fact that the husband knew and it seems like often in a lot of cases partners or husbands know if there's potential poisoning going on now when we look at poisoning as a whole I mean it, it, women tend to poison more because it's less deadly but when you're looking at the case she was so focused on money and business She then transitioned into the next step of writing a book about the grieving process. Which to me, it's like one thing to be like, okay, like you poison the man on vacation, which is just really upsetting. You poison the man on Valentine's Day, okay? Then you poison the man when he doesn't want to buy the house and you kill him. And then you take his story and you turn it into a book to help grieving children. I mean, I I really can't think of anything that extreme. I mean, that is just dirty. And I really think anyone would would follow that. I mean, that is some cold-blooded ish, in my opinion. So what's really tying it back to the potentially fact that she is the murderer is they have talked to the dealer about it. And because he had five times the legal, uh, legal amount of fentanyl, This woman is really stuck with a smoking gun and I have a hard time believing that she'll get out of the case. And after the autopsy and the fentanyl, like it was believed that potentially she could have done it, but they needed to wait long enough to get the necessary, um, to get everything necessary in order to try her. And now she is being held in prison, but it really makes you wonder, and I'm going to go ahead and. Play one more audio clip of her talking about the three C's she came up with in the grieving process.
2: Exactly, exactly. And so I've done, you know, I'm new to all of this, so kind of doing all you know, research and reading books and things to try and understand, you know, not only how to grieve as a widow, as a, as a wife, but also, you know, with my kids, how to help them, how to help them understand what just happened. And um, what I have kind of found is, as I mentioned, it's kind of the three C's is how I has visualize it. And it's, you know, um, connection, continuity and care. And it's, you know, making sure connection is the one major one and making sure that their spirit is always alive in your home, you know, and memories are always brought up and doing things that your loved ones love to do, whether it's riding bikes or their favorite dinner, and just constantly, you know, talking about them and And Corey, do you mention at dinner, here's dad, or dad would like this meal, or dad would, let's bring dad on a bike ride? Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, explaining to my kid just because he's not present here with us physically, that doesn't mean his presence isn't here with us. And he's doing these things with us. And he's, you know, here for birthdays, and he's here for Christmas, and, you know, and it's just comforting to them to know that you know they're not living this life alone like mm-hmm. dad is still here it's just in a different way
0: so i really just wanted to leave on that note um just sum up what they're talking about them be like wow i mean it's really really crazy and it really makes you wonder but what's also crazy is kind of what potentially is going to happen next for her because of would have been shot um I just I can't imagine it. It's like when I read this story, it's like you know obviously I've never been i I can't imagine the human condition of going through this drawing straws and killing unarmed men because you couldn't hold them anymore, and they were they were considered to be the enemy um you know, and it's like in in and this is probably. You know, it's a pretty serious thing to come out since in a, in a while. But I really don't know, um, how the rest of the message conveys. You know, I don't know if they're gonna, you know, more to follow on it. But it didn't give any updates of maybe potentially going out and finding these soldiers. But it has a lot. It has a lot to understand that, you know, things that happened 75 years ago are still weighing on this man, and rightly so. I can't imagine it a normal activity ever going through something like this and then processing it so many years later and even in the article you know the mayor of the town said you know he he there was like a weight lifted off his shoulders um and you really hope maybe for those german families or whoever you know that maybe there's some type of solace on what happened um because their 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 family would have been killed within the war and potentially having something come from it. But you know, trauma's a real thing. And holding on to those types of stories obviously had some type of impact on him. You know, and it's like it goes back to that concept of really understanding, you know, as we learn more and more about the impact of war and how it and in PTSD and what it does to soldiers. You know, if you ever look up the twenty two foundation, it's a foundation that actually was created simple fact that you know 22 um, Iraq and Afghani soldiers commit suicide daily and when we look at kind of the statistics now about what's happening within war it's really unfortunate about the people who've come home because there's been a lot more fatalities happening as a result of suicide than the amount of soldiers that were ever killed in Iraq and Afghanistan and really goes to show that a lot of this Ways on individuals, and some people deal with it much differently. So, I think sometimes, whenever you are interacting with people who um, have combat experience, you know, that have patience, that have grace, and understand that they're coming with a different mentality—one that, as a civilian, you know, I'll never be able to understand. And when I read this story, you know, I'm trying to understand it, and I'm trying to talk to it, and. You know, I couldn't imagine going through those steps and participating in something and holding on to it for 75 years, but it gives you insight into what that individual is dealing with as an 18-year-old fighter of this resistance group, and, you know, so, you know, be thankful that you haven't had to experience that, you know, possibly. That's the only type of justification I can really put on it, but at the end of the day, I just wanted to bring this story because I thought it was one worth telling. I want to thank you for listening, and I appreciate all of your support. Um, Obviously, I'm working to master the Short Form Podcast, so I definitely have some stumbles and bumps along the way, but, you know, I'm still working at it, still trying to get better in order to provide you the best content. And I want to go ahead and make a plug that I put surveys at the podcast, so, you know, if you could rate it so I could get better at understanding what you want to hear, if uh, this content is something you like, you can go to Spotify and just hit the actual survey, and it gives me data. And how it allows me to work through a process. You guys can also go follow me on Instagram. Um, I, you know, if you ever listen to something and you really love it, just go ahead and tag me on Instagram so I can share it. I'd love to experience that. And I want to thank you guys for listening, and we'll get back to you tomorrow.